Dennis Prager here. If you have a business or real estate dispute, I strongly recommend that you call Barack Lurie. Barack, your client loaned $100,000 to a former business partner to use to flip properties, but the former partner used the money to pay off his own personal debts. Yeah, Dennis, the challenge here was that the defendant claimed to not have any money. Even his own lawyer claimed the defendant wasn't paying him. So how did you resolve it? Well, we put his money where his mouth was, asking, why don't you just agree to stipulate to a judgment that would save our client and his tens of thousands of dollars pursuing this matter in court. Now my client has a judgment as though he had gone to trial and won. Well, that's another real success. Folks, I trust Barack Lurie with my own legalities. Call him at 866-575-8111. That's 866-575-8111. Fighting for what's right, Barack Lurie at Lurie and Seltzer. 866-575-8111. And now listen to the Barack Lurie Show Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. here on AM870, The Answer. is the Brooklyn Podcast with me, my good friend and producer, Ari David. Always a pleasure. So uh, we, we are living in a time where things are so upside down, where uh, Democrats accuse Republicans of being racist, uh, where Democrats accuse uh, Rus- um, Democrat, um, Republicans of being greedy, Democrats accuse Republicans of not thinking, um, when everything, of course, is the reverse. It's truly upside down. Everything about the Democratic platform is racist, greedy, or um, uh, not thinking. Everything about that. And, I, and I, it struck me uh, an, old, uh, an old fact on the ground. You know, and, sp- and speaking of the grounds, you know Aristotle, the great Greek philosopher? Right? Not personally, but I've heard of him. <laughs> That's right. Great guy. Did he die? <laughs> anyway. I think he got smothered to death in a sauna. <laughs> so he, he was considered a great theory, a theorist and a great philosopher, and, he, and indeed he was. He wrote many books about the, what is good and what is the right sense of values. Uh, things that, that uh, you know, it was about man trying to grasp for the scientific basis for values. And his main mission was what is the good? Right with a capital G, and a lot of Aristotelian thought was designed to logically understand why people should be good, and what what honor means and things like this. I think it was that the, the title of the book was Nicomachean Ethics, and it was very boring, but it's something you sometimes read in college. So a lot of you know what I'm talking about. But among the other things that he purported to know was uh, uh, in the realm of, of science was about gravity, okay? And he postulated the, the basic theory that, uh, as you know, Ari, that if you, know, if you have one heavy object and one lighter object, let's say two balls, okay? One's really heavy, and, and let's say like a medicine ball, Okay, and the other one is a light, like a tennis ball. And you drop them from the top of a tall building, they, they, will, they will fall at different rates, right? It's obvious that the, the medicine ball will fall faster than the, the tennis ball will. Okay. Um, 
and 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 that's that obvious theory was you know expounded for thousands of years. And then one day, someone said, "Hey, let's test this out." And uh, he tested it out as a, just for kind of showmanship purposes off of the Leaning Tower of Pisa, the, the tilting side. And he did. He took a one big ball and one small ball and dropped it. <laughs> and lo and behold, Aristotle was completely wrong. Okay, they both, they fall at the same rate. It's a fact. And it's just so obvious. And, and why do I bring this up? Because for 2,000 friggin' years, people were saying this nonsense. 2,000 years. Okay? I mean, if I were a student of Aristotle and he was a teacher, I, I would, the first thing I would do, oh, that's, that sounds cool, let's check it out. Right? Within five minutes, I would be trying it out, out, out of some relatively tall building to see if it makes sense. But not only did they not do it in five minutes, not only did they not do it during the, 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 the entire Greek empire, you know, came and went before anyone tried it. And not only that, but the Roman Empire came and went. And, and other empires, for that matter. It wasn't until the time of Galileo that they said, let's try this out. And, and it just sent shockwaves through the scientific community. Right? It's not as if Aristotle, somebody had some sort of vested interest in keeping Aristotelian uh, theories on, on weights somehow to, to be true. You know, like the old canard that somehow the, the Catholic Church was vested in believing that the earth was the center of the universe. It's not like that at all. <laughs> but they just didn't, no one bothered. Why do I bring this up? Because it, it makes you think about all the other things that we believe in, how people just believe what's given to them, and they never bother to test it out, Right? And this is not just in the, in the areas of physics. You know, the people just, you know, the, the facts are right there in front of them, or at least they're available to them. And they never ask, well, is that true? They just buy it hook, line, and sinker. And I think there's no greater example of that than the whole global warming charade. And it is a charade, right? I mean, you, you have people that, that think that because there's a movie that, that was called The Inconvenient Truth and some man named Al Gore said it very confidently and shows you uh, three graphs and it, that, that it must be true. And this mantra keeps on going. And you notice that people who have invested themselves emotionally and otherwise, intellectually too, you know, 18 years has gone by and there's been not any increase in the temperature the very increase that they predicted, that all their computer models had predicted. But you would think, you know, at, at the time, had they started believing in 18 years ago, and they said, yeah, that makes sense, global warming, yeah, I, I, I dig it, it makes sense. And of course, you know, we'll see it, you know, and it's going to be increasing in the next 18 years. Then they would, but it's not, I'm sorry, that it's not going to be increasing for the next 18 years. They would say, well, maybe I won't believe in global warming because it doesn't fly. Right, because that would be a necessary step. Or maybe I'll withhold judgment until it does. Sure. Yeah, I'll withhold judgment. But at the very least, your computer models say that we're going to be steadily increasing our temperature. And, uh, and, and Al Gore says that by the year 2013, which by, at that time, by the way, was a long way off, that we won't have any polar ice. Okay, well, 
and, and you were to say, well, you know, if, if it's going to prove that by 2013 there, there's plenty of ice, in fact, maybe even more ice, maybe I will not believe in global warming as at least they present it to me. Okay. But they, of course, nobody knew the truth, what was going to happen in the next 18 years. But here we are 18 years later, and those people got themselves so invested that notwithstanding the facts that were confronting them, or at least the facts that were available to them, they continue to believe this, this nonsense. You know, people just got invested. And, and it's worse than the people who continue to believe the Aristotelian weights thing. It was not political, like I said. It was not, nobody was vested. There was no need. They just happened not to do the experiment. They were just lazy. They just overlooked it. <laughs> they, they, they were just collectively lazy. That's, that's what you could ascribe it to, right? It's not like the Earth being the center of the universe, where there, you could argue there's some vested interest. With, with the Aristotelian thing, it just nobody bothered. And the same thing is happening now, right? All these facts are coming loud and clear that this, this computer modeling that you did, just, it's just not, it's not working. Just not. And there are a thousand different reasons why the climate may be changing. Thousands. And, and they only want to focus on CO2. Right, is it CO2? Yeah. Well, essentially the, the car you like to drive. Right. The okay. SUV. Right, and they, they want to change all that. Um, but you know, never mind the, what, what they actually want to do with it. Of course, they want to, do, they want to completely change the entire economy uh, in order to, to advance this. Uh, but uh, the actual theory itself does not hold water. Okay? They never bother to avail themselves of the facts. Do you see where I'm going with this, folks? You see what I'm saying? Are Me? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I, I, I'm a fan of yours. I know exactly where we're going with this. Because there's an old saying, um, if your opinions don't change from time to time, you might want to check your pulse because you might be dead. <laughs> yes. Right? Normal human beings do this thing called learn. Yeah. And learning means the way you thought about something before is different today than it was before. Right. Uh, I hate to oversimplify yeah. it. Actually, I love oversimplifying it. But that's what's happening here. That's exactly what's happening. Um, and and it, it applies to so many other ways of, of traditionally liberal thinking. Not, not other things. Not conservative thinking. Conservative thinking actually likes uh, old values precisely because they've proven to be true. They've proven to work. Example, the family as the center of civilization. That has proven to be correct. That has proven to be a great advancer of it. Um, another example, men and women are different. Treat them accordingly. That is a true statement. Okay? And, and you can avail yourself of all the facts, and it'll be proven time and time again. That won't change. There are some basics of human nature, for example, that greed is the natural human condition, and you can harness that, or you can fight that, right? Just like you can harness fire, or you can let burn fire burn, burn, burn your house down. Exactly yeah. right. Uh, but the, the, these are the, so. But liberal ideology, by contrast, um, it reflects just bizarre thinking. Some so often they, they come. Up, but by definition, it's new, right? It's a. I have a new idea. Like gay marriage is a good example. It's new. We don't know what it, what it's going to be. What's, what the consequences of it are, but by definition, it's new. 
and Michael Moore, for example, when he says, I don't know what, uh, what, what, how I would replace capitalism, well, that, that's a classic example of how they don't think about their, their new concept, whatever that might be. But we'll think of something, right? Literally, that's a quote. And the same thing is true for every ideology that they have espoused, whether that's minimum wage, whether it's affirmative action, whether it's high, ta high taxes or anything else like that, whether it's massive more regulations, constantly they have the facts available to them would reveal to anybody that they don't work. They just don't work. Uh, not just the regulations, but the minimum wage concept, the affirmative action, it has not worked. Now, again, this is a little different than the, Arist the Aristotle situation that we're talking about before. In fact, very different. In Aristotle, they simply didn't actually try the experiment. They didn't go for it for 2,000 years. I mean, it's, it's very bizarre. But, but we know that affirmative action, for example, we have tried that, and it doesn't work. We know it, it's, it's affected nothing. In fact, it's actually uh, made the situation and the plight of, of minorities worse for so many different reasons. And, and a lot of people are going to be asking, well, how do you mean, Mr. Lurie? What do you, how, how can you say that? Uh, affirmative action is, is great. Look, Clarence Thomas is there and, and, and Condoleezza Rice. And, all, and they're making all these assumptions that somehow affirmative action is the cause for all their success. Not so. Not so. Can I give an example? And, and I'm just, I'll just say, I'll finish up the thought. Oh, sure. That their success is in spite of affirmative action, not because of it. Go ahead, go ahead. Oh, example. perfect example of the damage affirmative action is causing is the huge number of people who are black who drop out of elite high, uh, higher educational institutions because they should have never been able to get in on the merits that they presented as their grades in the first place. Right. Thus, the work is too hard for them. Had, they, had there been no uh, qualification programs based on their race, ethnicity, gender, etc., right. um, they would have gone to a less elite school where they would have developed the skill set necessary to get into an elite school later on, right. and then they would have succeeded there, right. rather than dropping out of the elite school because they can compete, and then never attending college, right. period. It's like me uh, you know, deciding that I want to be invited to the skateboard uh, Olympics you know, championships. Yeah, the X Games. Right, the X Games or something. Skateboard. I don't know how to skateboard. I mean, yes. I, I can put my feet on there, and I might be able to roll for 10 feet or so, but then I get I panic, and I have to jump off. And I certainly can't do any tricks, right? You will break your own I'll break, radius. Yeah, I'll break something. Yeah. And, uh, but, but then to expect, I mean, it's, it's, you're, you're just setting it up for failure, right? Right. Anyway, so going, stepping away from affirmative action, same thing with minimum wage, same, same thing with the, the mantra that the, the, the New Deal has done so well, right? That right. The, FDR got us out of that 16-year depression he caused. <laughs> that's <laughs> right. Uh, or or the, the, the lie in the war of poverty and all that. That, that, the, that the very way to fight anything, any problem. Government is the answer. Yeah, by unleashing government on or guns, yeah. gun control. Yeah. Gun control makes cities safe. Really? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and, so. what's, and I love the, you said how these ideas are always new. They're always ancient, yeah. stupid ideas right. that only seem new because they've been forgotten because people <laughs> of, in the past thought these ideas, figured out these ideas were so idiotic. Right. You know what? That's a very good point. They, they've just recycled them, not realizing that they've been recycled. Kind of like... Uh, there's so many movies uh, that come out that actually are just recycled uh, themes from 30 years ago, right? Yeah. Like uh, there was uh, the, the movie um, uh, Star uh, Storm Troopers, Starship 
Troopers. Starship Troopers. Which it was a very cute, very sweet movie. But it's actually just the the story of Carmen from uh, the, the opera. That's it. It's Carmen. And in fact, the, the lead character, the woman, is named Carmen. Just in case you didn't get it, right? And and how many times have you seen the the movie the uh, a movie that basically is the same story as 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 Hamlet, right? And uh, example, Lion King. <laughs> example, the the Last Frontier, the the um, the Star Trek one. So no, the Undiscovered Country. I should correct myself. The point is that you, you they're constantly recycling these ideas, and you've you've heard this expression. Um, every generation thinks it's the first one to discover sex, right? And and that's the way they think. They they think that yeah they they start talking to you about sex and how great it is and as if as if somehow the the way that they were conceived was was not through sex. <laughs> of course it was through sex. Or just because vulgarity wasn't everywhere spray-painted on every wall and every alley in their city. Right. People were not vulgar 100 years ago. Right. Yeah, there was... In fact, the word vulgar, by the way, means common in Latin. Uh, it's, it, and so now that, that word vulgare uh, comes from the word common. It's interesting. Yeah, as opposed to elite, or yeah. elevated. That's right. And and the the common people were you know, the disgusting people, so to speak. You would look down upon them. But putting that aside, uh, and and using vulgar in the more modern definition, um, people were always engaging vulgarities. It doesn't mean that it's a good thing to do it now again. And there's a reason why we 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 ask people not to swear in front of children. There's a reason why we don't. Want women to throw, you know, to take off their their shirts in the middle of the street? Don't bring up yoga pants. I will not bring up yoga pants. Uh, we, there's a reason why we don't want one woman wearing very tight fitting, uh, lycra clothing that you might use in yoga. From Lululemon. <laughs> <laughs> There's a reason. I mean, you know, people never stop to think: Why is it that we that we've expected this formality? Why? And, and could it be a reason beyond, you know, the uptight religious ideology? Yeah, could it be for a reason like, oh, I don't know, because it works? <laughs> it's right. Because it's good? Yeah. It makes better people in a better society? Right, because it's not distracting and so right. on? Okay. Uh, they just, we are all like, I mean, we, we can laugh at the Aristotle situation. For 2,000 friggin' years, nobody thought... Let's check this out. <laughs> no one until David Letterman to, to figured out to drop a watermelon and a cantaloupe from the same height of a yeah. building at the same time Do to it. see if they arrived at the concrete <laughs> at the same instant. Yes. Really? <laughs> it, it, it's, just, it's fascinating to me. It, to me, it's one of the funniest things in, in historical significance ever. Uh, so how they, they believe this. And, and it's literally like, you know, it's like th- what I just described. It's like saying two plus two is five. And just saying, and that's the way it is. And, and no one ever bothering to just take uh, two of, of anything and two of any, uh, you know, another two of that same thing and, and counting one, two, three, four. Oh, it's four, <laughs> not five. How it's it's dare literally you like that. Self on my religion, right? Because <laughs> that's what basically the way they that's react what it, emotionally. It is, it's a religious thing. Now, speaking about emotions, so I had a discussion, uh, I, and this is why it, it brought to mind the Aristotle thing. Um, I had a discussion with a very good friend, um, liberal-minded, and uh, he heard me speaking about um, global warming and such, and he was just floored, floored, you understand, that I could believe that you know global warming may not be actually happening, uh, for, at least from a man-made perspective, and that, or that we have any uh, serious consequence to the planet, and for that matter, are we making any serious damage as well? 
or can make any difference if we halt our current behaviors. Right. Even if we went totally back to the to the caveman days, would we would would this have any impact whatsoever? And and what is that impact? Please, you know, is it, if it's only a, a centimeter of of water going up or down, then perhaps we shouldn't be changing anything. Okay. Uh, if it's uh, if it's 10 feet of water and it'll avoid the, a massive flood, well then we could talk. But there's no proof of that. Yeah, so, so I, I started talking with him about this thing, and he is just so angry with me, angry. And we get to talking about other things and and how I said don't don't believe everything that you hear about things. And and he suddenly started talking about the EPA and how. In, in his town where he grew up, here in, in Southern California, um, the smog levels were so extraordinary. And now, thanks to the EPA, we can breathe quite cleanly. And they don't even have smog days anymore, as they used to. And I said, well, first of all, that's happening in Los Angeles and happened in Los Angeles, too. But your, your assumption is that the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, was the one that created this? Well, yeah, that's so obvious. And I said, I don't think that's so obvious. And if, on the contrary, it's the result of competition. And the EPA, the rules and regulations that you're so proud of, in fact, just followed what was actually going on. So, and, and he just stormed out of the room. He just, he, he was, and he did all sorts of hand gestures. I, in fact, I'll tell you this. I, I think I won the war of, of the argument, uh, but... He certainly won, and I have to give it to him. He he won the war of you know hand gestures and and we call that bulging body, body, yeah, body language. language and bulging eyes and and gaping mouths and uh, he won that I, fair and square. And and the way he rushed out of the room, I got to tell you, it was very elegant. You know, I think he did it in in three paces where I might have done it in five. So you know, my hats off to him for the incredible. Uh, hand gestures and shock that and disgust and and grimacing and laughter, he wins on that one. Oh, you say that that's not the way to win an argument? Oh, I forget. <laughs> but he did he did win the war of gestures. Is my point. All right. Um, so, but we see this not just in the in the global warming. Of course, we see it like we just said: the war of poverty, on affirmative action, minimum wage, all the things that we all love to talk about. And in many ways, you know, you hear us talking about these issues in different ways, right? And, and the reason why we're, we're, we're talking about this way is because we're, we're studying this interesting animal known as the liberal. And why, like anthropologically, why does a, a, a liberal think the way they do? And how it is that a liberal can think the way they, they do? And so much of it, I think, is because, you know, when I was speaking to him, just, it was, it was really fascinating. You could see that he felt he was right because, because so many people believed that that was the case. 97% of people and so on and so on. And how could I not think of that? And he started comparing me to you know, conspiracy theorists, um, you know, people who believe that Elvis is, uh, is still alive, that sort of thing, right? And, and I said, well, why can't I say the same thing about you? you you're the one who believes in, in a man-made conspiracy. I, the sky is falling. And, and I'm the crazy one? Excuse me? I'm, I'm the one saying that there's not... I'm, I'm wondering if there's really a good factual basis for this. And I'm crazy for not believing that? Whole, whole uh, hook, line, and sinker like you do? You're not the crazy one? And, and that, you know, he stormed off. 
That's what one can of I say? the liberal side's great magic tricks is convincing the world around them yeah. that it's their philosophical opponents who have the mental disorder, right? Or the, even the mental blind spot, or are yeah. those who project a emotional image upon their opponents. Right. When those three things are exactly what they do, and also, do you notice how interesting this is? Not every conservative, but so many conservatives have religious values at their core, unshakable truths that are the, the parts of them that don't change because they're not related to science. They're philosophical truths. Right. Liberals, because they have no foundational values at the, their core, are constantly going in and out of, if you will, scientific thought and emotionally clinging to them to fill the emptiness of not having Oh, I, I, I agree, values because it, it, the, the, instinct, the instinct for values, for core values, as you say, is so strong and that, that they will find a way, in some other way, whether it's environmentalism or fascism or communism or whatever it is, some sort of social or structure. worship of a musical star, an athlete, an you artist. Or, go, or gossip. gossip you know, yeah. it, it, that suddenly gives them meaning. And then, as my rabbi once uh, said, you know, then people wonder why we have higher rates of depression and suicide than ever before, right? Could it be? Could it be that there's a link between that and the decided, uh, you know, increase in secularism and the, the abandonment of, of God? Yeah. Could it be? And, uh, you know, take that in your pipe and smoke it, right? I mean, think about that. Cogitate. Because I think it's so obvious why that is the case. People who, who are true, have true faith in God, who have true knowledge of God, I should say, they're so far, so so much less likely to have depression issues. I'm not saying that they, there are zero depression issues, but they are so less likely to do that. And, and I doubt that there's a survey about that because the survey would, would so uh, clearly demonstrate that yeah. point. And I, I doubt that uh, any university wants to, to pick up that cudgel and move with it, right? Yeah. Um, but, but there you go. And that's an obvious point that nobody wants to, to explore. Here's another obvious point, and I, when people laugh at me, and I know they laugh at you, for not believing in traditional, pure evolutionary thought like uh, from, from Darwin, that everything is the result of the survival of the fittest, right, and mutations and, and so on. Um, you know, to the extent I believe in any evolution, it's, it's at best, you know, within a species. People, you know, people get taller, uh, in a depending on if you no were. no no the, the, I know how you believe in evolution yeah in 1964 the Beatles sang I want to hold your hand right in 1967 they sang Lucy in the sky with diamonds there you go that's true right. that's, right. that's, that's evolution that's the evolution yes that's a good point they got to be better musicians <laughs> over time with practice right right <laughs> right that's I believe in that I guess I do believe in evolution D mic drop mic drop boom boom all right that's very true. So I don't believe in, in, the, in, the, in the, the, what I consider to be nonsensical thought of, of um, uh, one species becoming another species. It's, it's so absurd to me. And you know what's equally absurd to me? And they, they look at you like you are crazy yeah. with, with three E's at the end yeah, of it. I guarantee you, <laughs> the Beatles will become the Rolling Stones given enough time. Yeah, exactly. I guarantee it. <laughs> I like that. That's, That's a good. good one. Might as well. You know, it's just as logical. In fact, it's more probable that the Beatles can become the Rolling Stones 
You know, that's possible. They, they could at least try to tour together. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Anyway, um, the, um, the the evolution. So they look at you like you're crazy with, with you know, two A's and two E's, right? Yes. Um, and, and you say, well, okay, well, you know, don't you think you have the burden of proof to show that evolution is true? Yeah. I mean, it's not good enough to simply point, well, Charles Darwin said so, and all my textbooks in school said so. That's not good enough. Doesn't the prosecutor my, 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 have to prove the case? Well, that's right. Well, my textbook in school, when I was super duper young, I think when when I was seven or eight years old, uh, said that the Earth, uh, sorry, that the universe always was that it was static, and 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 people were arguing about it, and people had always believed in that. Well, then and then when I was nine or ten years old, well, guess what? It was suddenly accepted that there was a Big Bang. Okay, so don't give me this crap about evolution, and evolution is is. Is garbage. It's just a theory. It never has been proven. And you may want it to be proven. I get that. You may think it in your heart. It really, really sounds right because because of all that. But there's no evidence of it. Zero. There's not a single skeleton. Not only from that that shows a fossil record that shows a jump from ape to man. Well, you would think there would be plenty of them, right? There's not a. And not only is there not a single skeleton that shows any of those wild mutations that they're talking about, like three, three heads or three arms or, you know, one arm or one eye for that matter, right? They, they don't have that. And, and they would say, oh, yeah, they, there's, there's, a, uh, there's a mutation that just didn't work out, didn't survive that fittest test, right? Not only that, but they, we also don't have a single bit of evidence showing one fossil, showing that uh, a jump from one species to another whether humans are involved at all. It doesn't have to be humans, right? It, why not from a fish to a, uh, to a giraffe, right? I mean, or, or, or any step in between. Show me. Well, you know, I, I think it's, I think, you know, the, the fossil record, it can't be complete because of the movement of the earth and, and everything's been pulverized. Well, isn't that, isn't that convenient, I say? Because if there's so many survival of the fittest, fittest moments, you would expect to see one. Just one. It's like a prosecutor charging someone with burn and say, yeah, but we lost the weapon. <laughs> and I know there's a victim. We just can't find them. We can't but, find the weapon. But he's guilty anyway. Right. We don't have a witness. We don't have a, 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 the, the, the murder weapon. And we don't have the body. And there's no motive. <laughs> and I know he's guilty. But we, and we don't have a motive. Exactly right. But he looked mean one day. Right. Yeah, so, that's, so that's, I guess, good enough. So, but they look at you like you're crazy. And here's another problem. Sometimes I turn to that same person who tells me that I'm crazy for not believing pure evolution. And I say, do you believe in God? And they say, sure. And I say, do you realize that pure evolution, as you just you know, claim to believe in, and God are complete, make no logical sense together? Zero logical sense. And I have to explain to them. And I'll explain to you right now because it's so... To you, the, the listening audience here, I know that you know this, sorry. It, it's, it's so simple. If you, if you believe in a God that is just, that intervenes in man's affairs, uh, either uh, freed us from Egypt, or had any sort, if you don't even believe the freedom of, of Egypt, just simply created the universe. Yeah, any number of miracles from the moment of creation to the exodus. Right. Anything. If you believe in, in that whatsoever, that there is a creator of any kind, then... then then how does that jibe with the notion that he just let things randomly happen and, uh, you know, happen on their own and let's just see whatever happens. And then, you know, he's busy doing other things, I suppose, and he looks over his shoulder and he goes, oh, 
Look at that. There's this, this human. Well, I better roll up my sleeves and get, get going and, you know, get involved a little bit here and there. I was thinking more he'd say is that, is that, Wait, wait, wait. Do you understand? Right. Do you understand that this, is, this does not make any sense? Why would a God that intervenes in human affairs or, for that matter, creates the universe... Just do right. things by accident. Just decide. I'll just leave it. I'll leave it. Right. Be. I was gonna say in my little act out of God. Whoa, there's a human there. Did that happen when I was drunk? <laughs> exactly. Well, I better yeah. do something about it now yeah. before yeah. I tie one on at five. Yeah. It's five p.m. somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and of course, this particular human has has you know uh, evolved to the point it has a free will, a sense of beauty, a sense of purpose, all the things that we, you and I love Nuclear to talk about. weapons, computers, yeah. iPhones. A, a sense of the future, a sense of the past. It was so way beyond any right. other animal that surrounds him. And I'm using that phrase, other animal, as liberals describe it, not as you and I would describe it. We make a distinction between animals and humans. But but, but if, to, to use their liberal t- terminology, why is this animal so friggin' different than every other animal? Yeah, why aren't your designer dogs that ride around in handbags pulling out their American Express cards and buying Maseratis right. and driving them around? Yeah, and wh- wh- why do they? They don't care about uh, prestige or anything else. They don't have a sense of creativity. They, I mean, it's just too obvious, right? So, so these same people, they, ask, they look at you with such disdain and they freak out to, to see that you believe in this nonsense. And they stop out of the room. And you, you, you don't even have time to catch them before to say, sit down, I'll explain to you. They don't want to hear the explanation because it, it's not worthy of listening to you. You are not worthy. And, and that's why I bring up this whole Aristotle business because I thought it was so fascinating how people refuse to see what's right in front of them. And, and unlike the people that Fail to do the, to the business of the waste and such. And you can argue, you know what? They were busy. <laughs> they were busy just trying to survive. They didn't have the luxury of time to try to test out a system of weights and how they fall to the ground. It, it, it seemed to serve no purpose, right? There's no applicable theory for them. So uh, you can give it to them. But, but here in today's society, we have, there, there are no excuses. You, you have your own brain. You, you sit down. If you can sit down and, and argue with me about evolution one way or the other, or look at me and, and accuse me of being crazy. Which? <laughs> Which? Yeah, exactly. Uh, then, then if you have that time, then you also have time to use your brain, open up your ears, and listen. Because you'll realize that pure evolution and God, they don't mix. And it doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah. And global warming, that don't make sense. No how, no way either. All right? This is Brooke Lurie. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Dennis Prager here. If you have a business or real estate dispute, I strongly recommend that you call Barack Lurie. Barack, you had a case involving a $220,000 promissory note, and you won a trial, but later discovered that the defendant had transferred all his assets. Dennis, when judgment debtors don't want to pay, they may shift assets over to their relatives, asking them to hold them till the coast is clear. How did you get the payment? The defendant had transferred title to two commercial buildings. We convinced them to admit it was an illegal transfer. That led 
to a great settlement with guarantees from relatives with penalties. And don't you know, they're making payments every month on time like clockwork. I'll say another success. I trust Barack Lurie with my own legalities. Call him at 866-575-8111. That's 866-575-8111. Fighting for what's right, Barack Lurie at Lurie and Seltzer. 866-575-8111. And now listen to the Barack Lurie Show Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. here on AM870, The Answer. This is the Brock Lurie Podcast. Um, so lately, there has been this stack of res- resignations or attempted resignations by university professors. Why? Uh, because <clears throat> the, uh, the student population has decided that the president of that particular university, and the, one that the thing that prompted this uh, recently <clears throat> is the University of Missouri, and that one president didn't speak vocally enough about the uh, uh, about Ferguson and a whole bunch of other uh, racial tension issues, and as a consequence, uh, he was drummed out, and the football team decided that they were not going to play at all if the president dis- did not resign. So he resigned. So now you may think, okay, what do we care about the University of Missouri? Uh, I-, I care a lot because if it could happen in, in the University of Missouri, it could happen anywhere. It's happening also at Yale uh, right now, where a bunch of students got, gathered together and they started making de- you know, demands upon the Yale president and otherwise. And you're going to start seeing this more and more. What's so <clears throat> interesting about this, before I use the phrase hoisted by their own petard, which is a phrase I like very much, uh, is that they, they have created this very set of rules that they were so proud of, that it's about free speech zones and and... Uh, about being sensitive to everyone and everyone's needs, whether they're black or Asian or um, you trans. Know, trans. Oh, but of course, they're not sensitive at all if you're Christian. That's that goes without saying. Or white or Jewish or male. Yeah, exactly. Right. Especially it's, if you're all four. Right. Or Israeli or you know. Yeah. Those things don't matter. I mean, let's let's accept accept that, right? That those we carve out those things where you can be truly insensitive. Um, so, but everything else you have to be super duper sensitive, and. Uh, and not only that, but apparently you have to speak out vocally the way that the students want you to speak out. So here's, here's some thoughts I have, uh, because they indeed have been hoisted by their own petard. They've created this world, and now they have to live in it. What I find fascinating is that most of these students are, you know, by, by definition, they're very young, right? They're uh, 17 at the very youngest and 22, 23 at the oldest, this, the, this is the age where you know nothing. You think you know something, but you truly know nothing. If I, as I look back on, on my days in college, I, I think, you know, I, I was very impressed uh, with the things that I was learning. I was at a good school, and I thought, gosh, I, I know more than the average bear. But the truth is I knew nothing. I, I, you know, I know what Aristotle said, and I know, like we talked about in the previous uh, episode, uh, first half of this podcast, and, and I know uh, a couple of things from history and such because that's what I learned. But from a, from a wisdom point of view, I didn't know anything. I, and I certainly didn't know anything about God, as it turned out. Uh, 
So <clears throat> the, um, but they created this environment. Now these students, you know, most of them are four years in the system, right? And they get to change the entire system. They make all these crazy demands and then they go, right? I mean, it's, you know, for them, four years apparently is a long time, but you know, they're not suffering. It's not as if the president has somehow controlled their lives or anything else uh, that, that made their lives unbearable. They just want the president to make certain statements, the president of their university, not the United States. And if he doesn't make the statements that they want him to make, well, then they're going to, to, to you know, rant and, and rave about all this, which is a far different cry from some of the other protests of, of, uh, of the civil rights era. Uh, for example, Rosa, Rosa Parks, you know, she's my hero. I, I love her. Uh, she protested the very law that she was opposing, right? I mean, she, she violated the very law that she was protesting, I should say that. And that's the way protests should work, right? If you, if you see that there's a, a, an extreme injustice, you violate that law and you are willing to take uh, the, the, the punishment for it. These guys are very different. <laughs> They're just basically telling the university president, here's what you will think, here's what you will feel, and here's what you will say. <laughs> but <laughs> no one can have a different opinion. It, it doesn't affect them whatsoever. And then they violate a wide variety of laws yeah. And then complain when any of those are attempted to be enforced upon them, even if the laws they're breaking have nothing to do with the grievance. That's so true. Um, nothing to do with it at all. So there's also recently a, um, I forget which university it was, but there was a university where um, the president uh, or somebody higher up in the university sent out an email to the student body to basically say, look, this Halloween, let's make sure not to wear any costumes. Yale. Oh, was what, that Yale. was Yale. Yes. Okay. Uh, don't wear any costumes that would be uh, deemed insensitive to any particular culture. Well, actually, what happened was this. They sent out an email saying, if we're talking about the same situation, mm -hmm. Halloween's coming up. Right. There may be costumes you run across that might offend you. Please just ignore them. Or right. don't take offense to them because the, uh, many times the offending party didn't mean to offend you, and in life we have to learn to deal with being offended. Something like that. Ah. In other words, took a conservative position. Um, well, I don't want to get them fired immediately <laughs> with that accusation, but let's just say that a reasonable, well-thought-out position yes. on a reasonable issue. Yeah. In other words, don't be a big baby. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's what's caused the, what spurred uh, the uproar. I see. I see. <laughs> As you can imagine, it yeah, did. That's right. Because it's a slippery slope, don't you know? If, if, you, if you allow, you know, who's, who's to say? You know, because there might be a, a, a Native American um, outfit with a feather, right? And, and that might be offensive. And there might be a Hispanic outfit with a sombrero. And, yeah. you know, one thing leads to another. Right. Uh, exactly right. Anyway, so... Um, uh, that's another example of, of how uh, the sensitive the university system has, has become. But it's not just the university system, right? It's the system, that, it's the whole culture that allows this sort of, uh, you know, the, the phrase PC is, is bantered about a little too loosely, but it's this culture, and I don't even know that it's a PC culture. I think it's more of an anything goes culture, a culture that doesn't understand uh, why we have the basic foundations that we have. Uh, the, the university has, you know, and I saw this at Stanford when they they dropped what was uh, then known the, as the Western Civilization curriculum, the, the requirement. When you were a freshman at Stanford, you're required to take, there's like one of three tracks, I believe it was, for Western Civilization. 
with different emphasis. And uh, whatever, I mean, it was uh, one was focused more upon the, upon the literature, for example, studying Western civilization through literature. The other one was more historical, and so on. And it was wonderful because at the at, at the end of the day, you still ended up learning the very foundations of Western civilization. It it asked the question, or had you understand? Here's why we are where we are today. This explains so much of who we are. Okay, Western civilization. And people eventually balked to that, as you, you know, this is in the 80s, of course. And they, they said, you know, that that just doesn't make any sense. It's uh, dead white men. It's, right? Well, yeah, that, it's ethnocentric. Uh, it, it, dead white men came later on, but it was basically uh, noted that it was ethnocentric. And so they, they were basically forced to drop that. It was about three years after I graduated. And it, it made me very sad because it... it you know, if you don't know why you are where you are, then, you know, you just kind of are floating all the time, doing nothing, and, and always kind of just responding to the latest um, uh, impulse, the latest, the latest uh, stimuli. That's it. And, and what, what kind of life is that, right? It's a life without purpose. And if you don't understand the Western civilization and, and what matters, then you will end up doing stupid things time and time again, and you will end up going nowhere. Like the boat that we always often analogize to uh, that has no sail, and it just kind of goes with the currents. And, you know, you say, okay, where are, where are we going to go next? Well, guess what? The wind will decide that. Or it winds up running upon the same rocks that wrecked the last boat captain by this crew. Yes. That forgot <laughs> where those rocks are. For sure. For sure. And the, the, the culture, uh, and, and here we are now, now some 30 years later, uh, where there's almost 30 years from the, the end of Western civilization requirements. And that was not just true at Stanford, of course. It was true throughout the, uh, throughout the United States. And here we are, just, you know, no one knows why we are where we are. They, they just hear these little mantras. It's like echoes of, uh, of the past that somebody else is telling them what the past is. And whether that's the Democrat Party or some other liberal institution, they're basically saying, okay, America was built on the back of slavery. Uh, America is a racist nation. America hates women. Uh, America, you know, it, it, Christians are trying to impose their will upon you. It, that's all they hear. They don't know anything else. It's a, it's, the, the internet is such a good example of that. It's just whatever you're, whatever it gets thrown at you, that's what you believe. Without any reference, without any uh, frame of reference for that matter. And, and so here we are. And this is why you can have this, this idiotic approach and idiotic focus, and people are so passionate about this, because they need to be passionate about something. And, and as we've always said on this show and otherwise, that if you don't have a passion for God, you will not have a passion for anything. You will miss out on the beauty of structure. In fact, a lot of what you study in college is the beauty of structure. Isn't that true, right? I mean, if you're learning physics, if you're learning about medicine, at some point you're going to have an overall approach to, to medicine. Uh, if, you know, to me, I don't know anything about medicine. I'm not a doctor. I, but to me, if, when I think about medicine, I don't even know where to begin, right? I wouldn't, I mean, but obviously in medical school, they teach you a certain framework. They, on the first day, they, they say certain words, and I don't know what those words are. I have no idea of the structure of medicine. I have a very good idea about the structure of law. I could, I could begin that all day long, but 
and then get into the nuance. And I understand every you know every new item that's learned. I understand where to place it in my the big outline in my brain. And uh, likewise for music, for example, I, I don't know much about music, but I, I, yeah, I know there's structure there too. Mathematics, physics, you name it. And, and everything about the university is supposed to be exactly about that, right? You're supposed to go into a particular class and understand structure. But the university itself is falling apart in terms of its own sense of structure. They don't want any structure anymore. And the students crave a structure of their own making, I suppose. They, they want to have some sort of point A to point B. And the, the university is not giving it to them. Um, and for that matter, their parents are not giving it to them. But we all want to go from point A to point B, right? I mean, it, whether it's a career path, whether, it, it, whether it's that you want to get married and have children, whether it's that you want to write a book, whether you want to become a, a great movie director, whether you want to start a business, it's all about point A to point B. And there is no such thing anymore in the university system. And look at it from, from that standpoint, a lot of the protests that you're seeing, the, the Missouri one, for example, the Yale one, even the anti-apartheid demonstrations, which were all self-serving at the end of the day uh, at Stanford um, and Berkeley and everywhere else that I, that I know that was in, on campus, they were very self-serving. Uh, serving. They, they, they were masquerading as if they were doing something great, but in fact, it was, it was all about them at the end of the day. But what they were trying to achieve is, is the point A was, well, we're, we're not getting what we want, and point B is, we're gonna get what we want which is either the resignation of the president or some big change by the university in some other fashion. And that's what they do. That, that's what you're seeing right now. And they have nothing better to do because you know, the professors don't give them any structure. Uh, the, the students are basically in control of the universities. It's like Lord of the Flies, right? You know, the, the famous book where uh, kids land on an island in the middle of the Pacific uh, only to find out that uh, there are no adults there anymore, no, no uh, surviving adults, uh, except for one that, who eventually dies. And they become animalistic. They become primitive. They start you know, uh, focusing on false gods and, and act tribal in nature. And it shows about the utter chaos of civilization. And I think we're seeing that in the university system. I don't know why... You know, I mean, you and I have young kids, and I know that you and I are both thinking about the future one day, as we conservatives do, <laughs> and we wonder ourselves to ourselves, is there going to be any value to sending our children to university? Well, I don't know. You, you can right. Andy that <clears throat> question. <Right>. But <laughs> well, <laughs> the, good, the good news are, I mean, as we talked about before, there are two uh, big things that are happening. One is that, um, that there are many more conservative-oriented universities than ever before, so that's good. And that doesn't mean it's a lot. Uh, it's, it's a handful. Uh, Hillsdale College, for example, being one of them. Yeah, but three is better than zero. So uh, there you go. There, you go. there, there is a choice. <laughs> yeah. Okay? Um, and and I'm, I'd be very excited to send my kids to that. Um, another th big change is that the colleges are going the way of the Internet, and uh, eventually you're going to have more and more um, digitizing of higher education, and people will be much more uh, practical about it because the dictates of the tuition and everything else are so crazy right now that it's got to change. Just something big has to happen. So and we'll see that uh, in turn, and there might be some structure. People actually might want to learn. What happens, for example, when there's a digital revolution in, in colleges, right, uh, and there's no one to protest with, <laughs> right? 
You, you don't even know what your president of your internet university believes, or, and nor do you give a crap. And, and <laughs> there's nowhere to mass together in some sort of student square to complain. And you also can't fire a professor who taught, say, a 12-week class, taught it once, it was filmed, and they just replay the same tape from 20 years ago of this class because right. it's timeless. You can't protest that that t teacher requires you to have your test in on X yes. class Good of, point. The, of the Good point. Yeah. thing or they'll get fired because of the, the protests on campus because the thing was already taught years ago. Yeah, <laughs> so true. Uh, then there's the, uh, the aspect of the First Amendment here. Uh, and the First Amendment, as we all know, it, it, it allows us to have free speech. Uh, and, and maybe more significantly, allows us to have more uh, free thought, right? I mean, it's also, it's also uh, why do I say free thought versus free speech? You can say, well, you can think anything you want, Barack, you know, in Ari. It's, it's, that's not the issue here. It's whether or not you're saying something that offends people. No, no, no. Not in this case. In the Missouri case, it's because he didn't do enough. He didn't say enough. They wanted to force him to speak. They wanted to take away not his freedom of speech, but his freedom of silence. Yeah, and that's why I say freedom of thought, yeah. because he he can think whatever he wants. He didn't say anything. He didn't say any. I mean, not that that would be good either. But if he said something like, uh, for example, uh, opining about the Ferguson situation, if he said, uh, "It looks like Darren Wilson was there. We ought not to be jumping the gun in in indicting Officer Wilson before justice uh, plays its part." If he said that, then of, then then the students would be more up in arms, even though they would be wrong, right? I mean, but. But nevertheless, that would be bad enough. But here, the Missouri students are telling this university professor, you, need, you needed to be much more vocal and more animated about this whole thing. In, for, in short, we want you to be like us. We want you to believe what we believe. And that is a very chilling uh, effect on, on free speech. Now, I would say I would worry about that <clears throat> tremendously for our future. But like I just said about the university system, I don't think the universities are, are going to survive the way the, the way that they that we would like them to survive, certainly not <clears throat> uh, the run-of-the-mill universities like the Univers University of Missouri. At some point, people will just be fed up. Uh, I mean, even if you're a liberal, uh, you know, you don't want to spend fifty, sixty thousand dollars, depending on its public or private. It's not much of a difference these days. You don't want to spend that kind of money, only to to know that even if you're even if you like your child's liberal policies, that they're going to do nothing and study nothing and just are going to yell in the, in the student square day in and day out. You don't want that, right? I mean, <laughs> I, I just never understood why a liberal parent would want his child to be liberal, but that's another story. Why, why would you want that, right? I mean, they, they can do that all day long without being associated with any university whatsoever. Or do you feel that <clears throat> you're just paying for a degree a piece of paper that they can hold up to an employer who will never give them a job because he knows that they, don't, they haven't actually learned anything. What, what, which is it? So the liberal universities, or for that matter, universities are, are going to start collapsing. Yes, of course, the elite uh, ones are going to survive, the Stanford, the Harvard, the Yales, and so on. They will, they will survive. Uh, but by and large, unless there's a really big shift in the tuition structure, in the curriculum itself, um, and the accessibility of information, um, I, I think you're going to see huge changes. It has to be that way. When you also think about the demands from overseas, um, the temptation to give uh, to to, to uh, sell great university courses online for money 
and for money a lot less than what the, the universities provide, it, it's too strong. People are, 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 it's gonna have to happen that way. So you can sell, a, you can sell courses at a, on a university online for let's say 5,000 a year, right? Very reasonably priced, and you'll give good courses. And you, know, you can have interaction with your professors through a, a FaceTime equivalent. No, it's, it's just, not, it's, gonna be, it's gonna be that way. So free speech, I'm not too worried about it at this point. It's just when, when, when you have the collapse of free speech on a, in a university campus, no less, you're gonna see the end of what it takes um, to, uh, to proceed with our culture. Our culture, I would say the university is reflecting the demise of our culture, but the, the culture in a sense will fight back. And if, on an optimistic note, what I like to think is that we're well, not... Well, that's what it is. It is optimistic, Yeah, but we're not seeing the demise of the culture. We're seeing just the demise of the university, hopefully. Yes, that's what I'm saying. I, I think so. And, and what do you think about this? You know, it always forces a um, comparison to previous uh, university protests of old, right? And, you know, people think about university protests and they think right away of the 60s and the early 70s, right? Or they think about the anti-apartheid movement in the mid-80s. But there were protests throughout all time. Uh, there were protests in the 1800s, for that matter. Students were basically making all sorts of demands. Um, many people think that uh, the revolutions of 1848 throughout Europe were caused by student protests. I was going to say the French Revolution. Yeah, that's right. Some activity on the <clears throat> a lot of that. Bone. Yep, a lot of it was uh, stemmed from, from that kind of student protest. Now, you could say that's good, that's bad. Um, I, I think it's probably bad because it's usually done by people who don't know better, right? They, they don't know what they're talking about, and they're asking for change uh, when, when they don't have the wisdom to understand what the consequences of change mean. Well, it's clear to, to your point earlier that the students of today don't have the structural yeah. information to learn that young people agitating for unspecific outcomes usually, if not always, results in bad things. Right. right. That's right. That's really true. But, but compare these demonstrations to the demonstrations of the 60s and, and, and early 70s. They're, in, the, in the demonstrations of the, of the late 60s, early 70s, that was mostly to protest the Vietnam War. Not that that made any sense, right? I mean, why would you complain, you know, uh, on the university campus, and why would you take over buildings and such? Um, but they never, they didn't say, let's completely radicalize how we teach. Yeah, sure they did. The SDS, the Student for Democrat Society, those yeah. holdovers who are now the professors who let this stuff go on, that was exactly what they did. Well, it started, you know. Okay, uh, so I'm not, I'm not being clear about what I'm talking about then, because I'm, I'm saying, they're not saying that they, they don't believe in structured teaching. Okay, that, that's a difference. Because the Western civilization curriculum that I just mentioned before, for example, they didn't say let's get rid of Western civilization teaching. They didn't say that. They didn't in the no. 1960s, no, those no, no. protests where they said Mao, Marcuse. Oh yeah, no, they, they, they wouldn't mind teaching those things as well, but they would still uh, expect to be taught in a structured way. Oh, okay? I see what you mean. I'm talking about the, 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 the destruction of structure. In, in the education yeah, system. Yeah, that, that's new. Right. That's a new form of critical <clears throat> theory. So 
they don't, they just kind of opine. I mean, for example, in a, in a physics class, you'll, you'll have a professor talk about uh, Bush and Obama and, and uh, you know, uh, climate change and all the other nonsense that's, that's out there. And you just say, well, isn't this a physics class? Aren't we supposed to be learning about this? Uh, even more so in an English class, for example, literature class, and then suddenly they're talking about abortion issues. It, it's, there's no structure anymore. And now uh, they've gone to, they've gone to uh, from <clears throat> uh, protesting an outside issue to then protesting what is taught to then protesting uh, any structure at all. Okay, so this, this is how bad it's gotten. And that's why you and I have our reservations about sending our kids to college, at least college as it is today. You know, who knows what it's going to be like uh, 10 years from now when, when my oldest uh, will be uh, ready for college. I don't know that I would want to send it to him, uh, him to college. Uh, and it's, of course, it's up to him at some point, but it's going to be my pocketbook that's going to be expensed, uh, more, more likely than not. So I really want to be very careful about where I send my kids to, to school. Look, I'd love for them to go to Stanford. I think it's a great school. But having just been there <clears throat> and following Stanford politics and Stanford education, I'm dismayed about what they're teaching them uh, and the assumptions that they make. You go on campus and they talk about global warming as though it's a, it's a fact uh, in the same way that they talk about the, 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 the rising of the sun and the setting of the sun. Yeah, yeah, I told you how I was at the law school graduation earlier this year, and the uh, president of the law school, you know, the head person who gave the lengthy keynote address at the law school graduation, probably spent the majority of her time talking about Michael Brown and Trayvon Martin. Ugh. And at least 70% of the kids walking, no matter what uh, ethnic background they had, had Black Lives Matter and some African colors stitched into their gown. You know, it, it all goes to the, to the main point that we often talk about, which is that we all have a search and a need for meaning, right? And if you don't provide meaning to people by way of God, then they will try to seek meaning in some other way. And in this case, it's, uh, they try to find meaning through uh, making a protest and believing very, very strongly that uh, there was racism afoot, don't you know, when it came to Trayvon Martin and uh, Michael Brown and, and whatever happened with Eric Garner and, and everything else that's imaginable. They, they, and they never put that in perspective. But they have, to, they have to complain about something. They have to believe in something and believe in it fervently. People just, don't you see that this is a manifestation of a human need uh, <clears throat> and that we're not meeting that need? And, and instead of placating the need, why not simply tell them, look, let's study God. You can, you can decide that God is silly. You can, you can study it in the same way that we study Greek mythology. Go ahead and do that if you like. But at least understand that God provides a structure. You may laugh at it. You may think that that, that is meaningless to you. But understand why it's, why it's meaningful to other people. And then you might actually, it might actually click in your brain that maybe we should be pursuing that. And you'll actually see God as a logical, and dare I say it, scientific way of, of approaching education, right? That that is what, what guides us. And everything else flows from our, our love of God and our knowledge and our quest to know God. Once we have that, then you're good to go. And I, I, I dare say that that is all collapsing before our eyes. You know, I, I have a rabbi that uh, speaks on this very subject quite a bit. Um, and, he, and he feels that, and I think he's right, 
that uh, the quest for, for God is something that is so paramount in our, in our lives uh, and that to deny it is, is like denying uh, the necessary nutrients to a child um, so that he can grow. And that's, that's the way I think that we are depriving our children, de depriving our educators for that matter. We are pulling away <clears throat> the very nutrients that cause them to, to grow. We talked on the podcast, uh, you know, Ari, a long time ago about um, uh, obese people. And we talked, and, and I'll, you'll see the connection between what I'm saying and, and God. <clears throat> do you know obese people are actually starving? Right? We, we, do we talk about that yeah, once? Yes, for nutrients. Their <clears throat> right. bodies are storing the energy, but they're not getting nourished. Right. So, but their body is so confused at some point that because all they know is pasta and french fries and hamburgers and cheese, that when they are hungry, that's the first thing they gravitate to, toward. And then, but they're still hungry. And then they're still hungry again. And they just race toward the same food that they know because they haven't had vegetables. They haven't had a decent amount of fruit. And, and had they just pursued the vegetables and fruit, they would be satiated with a lot less in their tummies, right? Uh, there's a vegan restaurant that I go to, and my big complaint ab about this vegan restaurant, which is very healthy, very tasty, they, they prepare food in an amazing way. It's called, uh, what is it called? Gracias Madre in, uh, in Melrose. And my complaint about them is that it's, it's so satisfying, the food, that you get filled up right away. Yeah, I can't finish my, my, my order because my body is to totally satiated. The nutrients are all there. Boom, all of a sudden I'm done. But, but the obese person keeps on searching for calories. Or not, sorry, searching to satisfy its hunger. Consuming, consuming, and the process. Free calories. Yeah, so in the process, they keep on eating more and more and more, and they get fat, and, and hence they're obese. And that's why we say, ironically, the obese person is actually starving. He's starving for nutrients. And I think the same thing is true with the students. You see, <clears throat> God is the nutrients. God constitutes really what we need at the end of the day. And yes, you need other things too, just like you need more than just food to survive. You need you know, a shelter, you need water, for example, and, and sunlight and things like that. But from a food intake point of view, uh, you, what you, you do need vegetables, right? You need the, the, the core things. You need certain core minerals that you can find in certain basic foods, healthy foods. And likewise with your education, likewise with the way you perceive life altogether. God is the first order of business. And after that, that's where you learn everything else. Otherwise, you end up getting all the empty calories, <laughs> believing what everyone else says, you, searching for meaning, in this or that demonstration, uh, this and that uh, latest uh, uh, report regarding what's happening in Ferguson. Everything means something to you. You just, you just search out for this. But all it is is a quest for empty calories. Anyway, I, I fear for our nation. I fear for our education system for exactly these reasons. Find God and great things will flow from it. Your life will be much more balanced and it, a lot more clear. And you will not waste your time on nonsense like what we're seeing at the University of Missouri, at Yale, and so many other universities. This is Brock Lurie. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll talk with you next week.
Do 